there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tea at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. Afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Not a great end to the football season time. That's okay. Because does the 6 and 16 going to a bowl game really matter all that much time? One quarterback cometh, another quarterback goeth time. Whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Balls 24 7 podcast, Wes Rucker. Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan, coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Friday afternoon. No, actually, it's still Friday morning here in Knoxville. Our normal Friday morning podcast is going to be a Friday early afternoon podcast this week. We had some... Some recruiting news. We had some recruiting news. We had some scheduling issues. Some, some different things happened. Life Life, L-Y-F-E, life happens. And there are things that we had to do. But we're here now, everyone except for Grant Ramey, who is babysitting however many kids it is that he has now. I lost count. Seems like a lot. You keep adding one to the total every week, so it's up to double digits, I think, by now. Yeah, he's, he's got, it's like 11 or 12. It's a good Catholic or Mormon family. Gets some, gets, got some good size to it. One of those. But we are talking mostly football in this podcast anyway, so that is all right. Guys, it has been what I would say an interesting week for Tennessee football. Would you say it's going to be an interesting 24 to 48 hours after this? There's going to be a bunch of interesting 24 to 48 hour span. Yeah. I I was thinking this morning, um, that Vanderbilt game was, what, six days ago? Yeah. I feel like it was like three weeks ago. Doesn't it? It's like, oh, that happened not that long ago, but yeah, it was long. It kind of feels like it was a long time ago. And and we've talked about how next season we're going to adjust the way that we do it when we record things to make sure we're getting the right time to talk about a game, giving it enough time after the game to talk about it, but still enough time to give you a better preview for the next game. So maybe that means doing kind of a recording a couple of them at a time and recording, you know, a Friday podcast after the fact and but doing something a little earlier in the week to talk about the game itself one before and all that so we're going to talk about all that we're going to get to figuring that out schedule why schedule wise scheduling schedule schedule wise for next year but it's not next year we're talking about this year right now and for those of you who uh, missed it if you don't like hearing bad news this is your warning 
for the next couple minutes, uh, just 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 push fast forward because we are going to have to say that the way Tennessee's first season under Jeremy Pruitt ended was uh, decidedly not great. The Vols got it handed to them by Vanderbilt, thirty-eight to thirteen in Vanderbilt Stadium, aka Needland West. It was um, for all the good things that have happened this season with with Tennessee. Uh, that was 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 not the way that that you want to end things, guys. That was that was a bit of a, a a bit of a I don't know if the kids use this expression, but I will. Bit of a turd burger that game. It it was, and I don't know. At the same time, I mean, there's there's no way to spin it as a positive or anything. It cost Tennessee a bowl game. Uh, it's it's Vanderbilt's fifth win in seven years in that series. Uh, Tennessee's obviously got to turn that around if they're going to get back toward the top of the SEC East anytime soon. Uh, and that's that's one of the series that, that Jeremy Pruitt will uh, will be judged on, I'm sure, if he can't turn it around. But at the same time, I thought that game showed Vanderbilt was pretty clearly the better team. I agree. And I think if those teams played ten times, I think you said it, West Vanderbilt would probably win nine of them. I mean, that I just thought that game showed there was a huge gap between them, and Tennessee wasn't playing its best football the last two games, but they also just played better teams. The um, the, the big thing to me is not necessarily that Tennessee lost out in the bowl games. They lost to Vanderbilt. This is a, a Vanderbilt program that um, their final home game for a bunch of seniors, a pretty good senior class, right? Yeah. Um, chance to go to a bowl, chance to beat Tennessee to go to a bowl. I think they, they haven't even played in 10 bowl games in their history. Um, chance to, you know, the first time they've beaten Tennessee three years in a row since the 1920s, and the stadium is still 75% orange. Since before, since before I mean, t- television was invented. Ten- Vanderbilt's last three-game winning streak over Tennessee was I capped in 26. TV into TV invented in 27. Thank you, Professor Rucker, for the history lesson. That was not needed. You're welcome. Um, like, and I told you guys before this in the box, like the stadium is like 75% orange for like one of Vanderbilt's biggest games in however long it's been. I thought it was closer to half and half, but not, not, I don't a, think not it was a half and half. I, there, there was more orange than black and gold in there. But the, po- the point is, is that that's embarrassing for Vanderbilt, and it's not as as embarrassing as it is for them for that program. It's more embarrassing if you're Tennessee to lose to this program every you know as much as they lost to him lately. So I think that was the big thing. And the other thing, there was some sort of disconnect. It didn't seem like the players were were there. No, there were some guys that were playing hard uh, and leaving it out there, but it just seems like. It's like some you know, the players were there, but they were just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, there was some sort of disconnect. I don't know if some guys just didn't want to go to a bowl game. Um, if you're a Tennessee fan and you're upset about not being in a bowl game, did you really want to watch this team play another game? I mean, they were hard to watch a lot of the year. Yeah, they were. I, I don't know if uh, – They were frustrating to watch, I should say. Yeah, I think it's tough because I, I, I think that there are so few times where players actually don't care about a result. Now, maybe they're not – as invested, maybe they're kind of mentally or physically checked out in some way. Checked out maybe is a good way to put it. But, you know, maybe a little bit of loss fatigue, battle fatigue. I don't know what it was, but they just clearly weren't the same the final couple weeks of the season. And, and that's what's odd is that they, they played so energetically and had so much juice, as the kids say, yeah. against Kentucky. And they played, like, they played that game like their lives depended on it. And the next two games, they kind of did it for about a half against Missouri. Maybe that was just. The, maybe just that was all they had left. Yeah. And it may, I think, I I tweeted that they looked like a team that ran out of gas, and then people were like, killing me for it on Twitter, which reminds me again why I don't tweet that much unless it's a link, because Twitter's stupid. 
Um, but then <laughs> SEC Networks, uh, I think Cole, you, I Cole think, Kubelik I, the next day was like... I think like you the, feel about Twitter the way I feel about Facebook. They, Go on. The next day, Cole, Cole Kubelik of the uh, SEC Network tweeted the same thing, and it's like, I'm not stupid, guys. I mean, it's like they look like a team that hit a wall or it's something. Yeah. It's just something looked off, and um, now it's the offseason, and now, I mean, I think they had a, a pretty... Um, the team meeting ahead Sunday night was, I think I don't think Pruitt pulled any punches there. Frank, 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 I Frank think is, is, a good a, way. is a good way to put it. I just I think when you look at the way that the final two weeks of the season, and you could have looked at it like this for a lot of the season, but you can normally tell which way a game. I, I think you can tell the way a game should be going if you watch like scrums, and it, it when when you've got two groups of people, it's usually after running play, it's toward the end of them. When you've got four, five, six guys from one side pushing against four, five, six guys on the other side to see which way the line moves, almost 80, it seemed like 80, 90% of the time, the pile was going whichever way Vanderbilt was pushing it. And that to me just tells you that team was physically stronger, it was physically superior. And you could say it has something to do with effort and energy. And I get that. But guys, you can't like, just use like willpower to push a, a pile forward if you've got five or six guys it's basically a tug of war thing at that point in kind of a reverse tug of war you're pushing against each other but you look at that you can usually tell which team is stronger and which team is just sort of physically better and that pile was moving the way Vanderbilt was pushing it, it that was not an accident that game was not a fluke. It was not an accident. Missouri did this to Tennessee. There's a reason Vanderbilt did this to Tennessee. They got physically pounded. There's a reason they could run the ball on Tennessee. Pretty much. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's yeah. if you if you watch that, if you have the stomach to go back and watch it, go back and watch those scrums. They are ain't nobody watching. Ain't nobody going to back and no. watch this game. Wise, come but on. If man. You they want, asked you why you were. No, if, if you want you didn't to even see, rewatch it, did you? If you, <laughs> no. if you want to see evidence of what we're discussing here on this podcast, if you want to be informed. West, West, stop. Nobody's going to go back and watch this fanable. Everybody's moved on in the coordinator search. Everybody's moved on to uh, all, you know, the attrition that's on the way, all these things. Uh, But I wish I had had a bleep button. I I would say something (laughs) that would require me to bleep myself. The two, the two, there were two telling moments in that game. Um, One of them, first two plays of the fourth quarter where Vanderbilt has Two receivers make two highlight real ridiculous catches in ridiculous, a row. Ridiculous, truly ridiculous. Where and then you take that compared to some of the plays that Tennessee's wide receivers who have made plays all season didn't make. Um, and some jump balls that Marcos Callaway couldn't come down with. The play that Josh Palmer couldn't make when it was third down. Those were those were kind of pivotal moments in the game. But to me, the telling moment was on Vanderbilt's second touchdown when Jared Pinckney blocked Micah Abernathy out of the back of the end zone, like it was. Uh, like it was in the Blindside movie. He put him out Maybe of frame. Maybe that's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Maybe we should make that a segue. Um, and that, I get Jared. And I get Jared. Professional. And I get Jared Pinkney's a NFL future NFL tight end and is is a lot bigger than Mike Abernathy. But the fact that on a play where it was just those two guys over there, the Vanderbilt uh, they ran an end around for a touchdown. There was nobody over there. He takes two steps into the end zone and then. A couple seconds later, Pinkney is still blocking him into the end zone, and it was the end zone where I've got that grassy knoll back there. Yeah, he's about to push him into the fans. It was just like, I mean, that was You'd be like at that point you're just being rude. Uh, yeah, it was rude. <laughs> I mean, that was that was sort of the telling moment of like um, 
if he could wants it, this it, more. If and, he could moonwalk, he could have moonwalked in the end zone. And I thought, and I thought Kyle Phillips was uh, made some really interesting comments after the game, talking about how uh, why Tennessee was so inconsistent all season. It's like this is what it looks like when guys don't buy in. And I think Kyle Phillips is a guy, and and, and the and the some of the holdovers on this roster have taken a lot of heat since that game. Mm-hmm. You know the the quote unquote butch guys. I don't think Phillips is a guy that if you're if you're accusing guys of, of laying down, I don't think he's the guy to do it. I mean, he played hard. He played hard all year. Um, I think yeah. Sh- I think Shai Tuttle played hard. I think Alexis Johnson played hard. I think those guys. There's a few few of those guys but, who I think played pretty hard. But his his comments that you know this is what it looks like when not everybody has bought in is I mean that was kind of telling and uh, you know that's always a question with first year coach and and I think that was probably the most poignant point of. Uh, the team meeting they had Sunday night, which is – it wasn't a called meeting after the game. I think it's pretty standard to have a team meeting the day after your season ends. Yeah. Um, pretty much like – State of the team, state of the in, program. Buy-in or there's the door. And, you know, we can do all the numbers and the math and all you want. they got to have some guys leave. Yeah. Uh, and we'll they get do. to one of them, the first domino. We'll get to that later in the uh, in the podcast. But I'll offer uh, a soliloquy, a eulogy <coughs> on the career of the we'll great – We'll pour one out for a will – on the career of the great the of the great Willie football, but yeah, I mean, I, here here before we move on to talk about the search and, and QB coach and all that stuff, here here's my honest question, guys, and and maybe this is a dumb thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm it's probably going to be dumb. When Wes thinks it's dumb, it's probably going to be dumb. Yeah, when I, I wasn't going to say when it, I, when I think something might be dumb, there's like a 92 percent chance that it's dumb. When you know everyone talks about the 15 extra bowl practices being a big deal, and I do think they help. Do y'all not think there's at least a small part of Jeremy Pruitt? He would never admit this, I don't think. But don't you think there's a small part of him that's just a little bit relieved he doesn't have to coach this this bunch 15 more times? Well, well probably, but it'd be interesting because the last six weeks of the season, they they did some youth development emphasis kind of stuff. Um, that was actually Philip Fulmer's idea. I don't know if we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago. We did. All right, well, then we did. But nice, on, on Monday, nice memory, fool. On, on Mondays, they were taking a lot of their young players, and they have a lot of them, and, and a lot of guys in this in this 18 class that they just signed that are Pruitt guys are going to have to – you know, they're going to need some step up from those guys in, mm-hmm. in 19. So, uh, But they were, you know, doing a lot of fundamental work on at the end of practice on Mondays. They were doing just, you know, put the ball down and go play football uh, at the end of the day on Tuesdays. And they would have done a lot of that um, during the – uh, bowl practices. I don't. I don't know that they would have marginalized some of the veterans or guys that weren't coming back or all those things. But um, I, Pruitt likes to go recruit. I mean, I, I think he would. You know, he'd be on the road anyway, even if they had bowl practices this week. But um, if like he, he likes cor- he likes his, cornbread and recruiting. If he could sink all of his uh, focus and attention on the future of the program rather than maybe the uh, the present with this 2018 team, I don't know that he's probably that torn up about it. You know who probably. Prob- you know who I can guarantee you is not happy about the outcome of that game last week. The uh, bowl representatives from Birmingham, Memphis, and Charlotte, because well, now were, one of them will mostly gonna, have to take Vanderbilt, and they'll be like, "Damn it!" Because they're gonna be, have they're gonna have to take Vanderbilt and like whatever five hundred fans travel for Birmingham. Gonna, they were gonna go to the Liberty Bowl if they won. I think yes. that was pretty clear. The Liberty Bowl has won Tennessee. They, the Liberty Bowl has been thirsty for the Vols for about a decade now. And then they keep thinking they're going to get them. And every time it looks like they're going to, Tennessee either gets above that bar yeah. and plays its way into a better game or, or, or Dave Hart backdoors yeah. them into the Gator Bowl. Right. Yeah, or do, they mess it up by losing. They just get the, uh, the rug swept out from under them. But, anyways, that's what happened with the end of Tennessee season. RIP, 
uh, Vols, and I don't, I'm glad I don't have to count whatever team number it was because I really think that was dumb. But uh, <laughs> good goodbye, team, whatever number you were. Uh, the 2018 team. Yeah, hello, team 2019. And uh, that team will have a new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. As If you're a Tennessee fan and you're probably thinking, well, that was a bummer first 15 minutes of the podcast. What? Let's talk about something better. Well, you're going to get a new OC and quarterbacks coach, which judging by the temperature of social media and the Go Vols 24-7 checkerboard. Temperature. The temperature. I would say that probably 80-plus percent of you wanted this to happen. So Tyson Helton, Tennessee's uh, former offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, is now the head coach of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers up there in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he used to be an offensive coordinator. He is gone, so Tennessee fans, you have gotten the uh, departure that you wanted. Now we'll see if you get the for, uh, for, the entrance that first, you want. First of all, um, arrival, I should say, I guess. With Helton, do do we think he was going to get? He was going to pink slip, wasn't he? I am willing to, at this point, say there was a two thirds chance he was going to pink he was slip gonna, anyway. I was going to. I, I was believing. I can say that with a fair amount of confidence. I was of the belief he was going to get a pink slip. I think potentially were, in his Christmas stocking. I, yeah. I was going to say maybe I, for a New Year's present. Yeah, I don't know. I think they were hoping for a mutual parting of ways that he would find something himself because I think that was a real possibility too. But I think it was going to end one way or the other. Um, and, and obviously, people are wondering oh, his offense would look terrible. I don't know that it, was it his offense. I don't think it was entirely his offense. Clearly, he had melded his ideas into what Jeremy Pruitt wanted to do. Uh, he made it clear in his introductory press conference at yeah, Western Kentucky that we're going to run a spread, kind of up-tempo well, sort you, of offense. If you watch Petrino or, you know, Brom at Purdue, even USC, like what they were doing at Tennessee wasn't as it, – it didn't look the same. Yeah. I'll put it this way. I, I, I've talked to enough people in the program, people who I trust, people whose opinions – do matter, people who have a say in such things. Talk to these people, and one of them put it to me very frankly one day and said, you know what, Wes, who, who are like the best offensive coaches of all time? Like, you know, your Bill Walsh's, you know, go to the college levels, like your Urban Myers, those kind of guys. Tennessee's he, fan base like to throw in. He, he, freeze at this he, point. Go, he goes, you, you take a, <laughs> he goes, you take a Mike Leach, a Mike Gundy, you know, a, uh, a Dana Holgerson. He goes, heck, take you take even Jesus Christ himself – and, Jesus of Nazareth. And it would not matter who was coordinating this offense because this team couldn't block anyone and it didn't have good speed at the wide receiver position. And when you don't have those things, um, it's hard. Now, they had productive wide receivers, big physical wide receivers who could win 50-50 balls, but it didn't have kind of a real game-breaker with speed, uh, and it did not have – an offensive line uh, that could consistently block anyone. And, and I had someone put it to me pretty clearly. This was the first time I heard someone come out and say it. I heard a lot of people hint at it, but someone finally came out to me and said it. Said, listen, I love Trey Smith like he was my own son, but he was a he was a shadow of his former self when he was out there this season because he hadn't played in eight months. And he just wasn't the same player. And maybe maybe he would have been, and hopefully he can come back and he will be again. But they said Brandon Kennedy, without reservation, was their best offensive lineman throughout camp. And then he goes down after the first game. And, you know, someone said to me, you know, when you're when you're upset at the world when Nathan Niehaus gets hurt, what does that tell you about where you are up front? I mean, it's just 
it's just not a good situation. And, and so my point here is that I, I think it's fair to say that there were some things that Tyson Helton and Jeremy Pruitt schematically had different ideas about. And when that's the case, the head coach gets what he wants. But I think, and I've heard this from enough people now, that they basically, neither one of them, both of them were frustrated the entire time, not with each other necessarily, but with the fact that they couldn't do what either one of them wanted to do on offense because they didn't have the players to do it. And that caused more of the frustration than anything else. So I got to tell you guys, no matter who they make this hire with, no matter who they go out there and get, unless they run some kind of a gadget offense, they're going to have to get better players and a lot better players, or they're going to be in this same spot again. So I know you don't want to hear that, but it, it, it's this, this hire is important. But what's more important than getting this hire right is getting good football players onto this campus. Well, th- that's that's the point. Of, that's the other kind of part about saying Helton didn't get to do what he wanted. I mean, he couldn't because of the offensive line. I mean, they were starting three guys that are they're starting a 270-pound guard, for goodness sake. And he was their best player most of the season <laughs> up front. Yeah, I mean – and you know that was that's the biggest reason. The other thing is, if Tennessee fans hold any ill will to Helton, I don't I don't understand that because um, was he here long enough to have people not well, like him? I, you know, yeah. <laughs> really? I, no, but that's not how this world works anymore. True. Um, so, uh, and, and I don't think I don't think Jeremy Pruitt holds any ill will towards Helton. I think they, there's still a lot of mutual respect there, and and I think Tennessee. I don't think they. I made Western Kentucky pay buyout for him. As far as I know, I think they waived it. So I don't. I don't think there's any ill will from Tennessee or yeah. from Philip Fulmer. They gave him an end of the year coordinator special. Screw it. <laughs> you know, and, we'll and, take fifty percent off of your buyout Hel- right now. Helton. You know, he may have been taking the diplomatic route in some of his comments he made at his introduction earlier this week, but he was very complimentary of of what he learned under Pruitt and Fulmer. Uh, he said he thinks Tennessee's you know moving in the right direction. Has you know, he's expecting big things from from Tennessee in the future because. Uh, he really likes what he saw about how Jeremy Pruitt runs his program in, in the less than a year he was here. Um, so I, I don't know that there should be any ill will towards Helton. And we'll have to see if he goes and, and does well at Western Kentucky, which could be a pretty good program. They weren't very good this year, but um, he, he's obviously really well liked there because of what he did um, when he was there with Jeff Brom. So. He wasn't calling uh, the plays full time there, but no. But I mean, you're you're part of that. Um, yeah. and, he, and he's a guy that's you know he's got a lot of energy. He does have some head coaching qualities. So a lot of people are wondering why did he, how could he have spun a quote unquote bad year at Tennessee into, um, you know a head coach a head coaching job. Well, there's a reason for it. He's he's going back to a place where he's got a lot of, um, a lot of ties. You guys are both on your phone, so I'm just going to keep talking. No. Um, Hey, you're typing sometimes. I'm sorry. I don't have my I don't have my computer up right now. But uh, help I was giving as, I was as, giving you the floor, you selfish jerk. As bad as Tennessee's offense was this <laughs> year, it still was better than it was last year. And at least last year they had Todd Kelly, or not Todd Kelly, John Kelly. They didn't. Well, they, they had, had John both. Kelly. They had they Todd had Kelly both. also. <laughs> they had both. Well, they all of had, the Kellys. All of the Kellys. Had, they only had TK for two games. But uh, yeah, I mean, you just look at you take John Kelly out of it. You take who else they lose. Um, you know, you, you touched on the offensive line issues that were the big deal. Yeah, uh, they lose Ethan Wolf, who was a productive player. They lose. Yep. Uh, everybody forgot about this offensive line too. It was a really inexperienced group. I mean, they had nobody with more than like thirteen starts. Yep. Their most experienced guys were Drew Richmond, who's a favorite punching bag, Trey Smith, who was a sophomore who missed all of the offseason, and then Chance Hall, who was you know basically 
they didn't even play him down the I'm last be- half. Of I the believe year. there were four or five. There were four or five power five programs that didn't have a single senior up front on the on the. Well, they didn't line. have any seniors and, and, at all. In the and Tennessee offense. was that's what I'm saying. Tennessee was one of them that didn't was one of only four or five teams in the power five level that didn't have a single they're, senior starting up front. Their only seniors on the entire offense were the two grad transfers they brought in. So it's like the good news is the entire two offense of the is coming back. The bad news is the entire offense is the back. entire offense is coming back. Well, that you 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 made the big point. Whoever they hire is the offensive coordinator, and I think we should probably get to that now. Um, I, I mean, I think I'll make that decision. They, they've got to make if you want. They've I mean, got to make drastic improvements on the offensive line. Well, they need yeah. five Wanye Morris's. They, well. And also, I would recommend deer antler spray. <laughs> I don't think muscle milk and creatine. What, I, I don't think I don't think muscle milk and that what is it? We whey protein. W h e y. However you pronounce that, I'm not sure. Potato, potato. They're gonna need more than that in the muscle milk. I'm I'm talking deer antler spray. You know what? If you've ever seen uh, Rocky Four, the stuff they gave Drago, that that stuff, whatever that stuff was, well, given they need that stuff. Thankfully, this staff is not going to recruit 260 pound guys hoping they can bulk them up into 300 pounders. This staff is, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. They're going to get guys who are 300 pounds now. Yeah, um, that's and, their preference. That was the that was one of the startling things watching the Missouri game. I did watch that game back, by the way. Uh, is that you look at Missouri's you offensive loser? Line, you you look at Missouri's offensive line, and those dudes were huge. Those dudes were big. Then you put like that looked like the varsity team, and then you got Trot Tennessee's offensive line out there, and it looks like the JV squad or the freshman yeah. team. And then you know at the end of the it game, it did look the, like the ready set go team. At the end of the game, when Missouri brought in its second offensive line, you're like, okay, that looks a little bit more like what Tennessee's looks like. And yeah. that's their backups. So. Um, I mean, you, you want it, You've got to have and that's, a, and that's been the case in a lot of games this season, where you've looked at other teams' offensive lines and Tennessee's offensive lines. You're like, why are they playing the same game? Like, yeah. why? Are, how are they in the same level of competition? Yeah. And that's they they got to get bigger and they got to get stronger and they got to get um, less mistake prone up front, and that'll come with time and a new system. But uh, there's a lot of issues that this team has and a lot of places on this roster that they've got to address. But uh, I think offensive line is far and away. The top spot. Agreed, and to your point, Patrick, I I don't think, I don't think you're never going to see the staff recruit a 280 pound offensive lineman or something like that. You know, a tackle. They, they recruit but, like 250 pound guys. Yes, and and yeah, you're not going to. I mean, Marcus Tatum was 245 pounds or so when he got on campus. He was he weighed on he weighed in at under 240 pounds during his official visit to Tennessee. That's how thin he was at one point, and. Yeah. And, and Tennessee liked his upside a lot, but that's a spread type player. I mean, you mm-hmm. you need athleticism, but look at the athleticism Tennessee's recruiting now at tackle. Wanye Morris, a guy who's already about 310 pounds, and Darnell Wright, an, a guy with similar length who's about 315 or so right now. So that that's more what you're going to see the staff plug go and play. I mean, not plug and play necessarily. Well, no, 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 no. But much closer to that for this team right now. Maybe probably plug and play. I mm, think maybe. You got to see how they develop. Uh, Darnell Wright, I think, still has has a ways to go. But no, Wanya Morris could be. I agree, but Wanya uh, Morris coming in in January, you'd think he's got a real chance to be a day one starter. You you did watch, you did watch Tennessee's offensive tackles for a lot of the season. Oh yeah, sir. Did you not? Oh yeah, I was there. Yeah, so, I mean, at that point, you probably might be like, well, let's just go ahead and play guys that uh, maybe could get better one day. I don't, I don't know because these other guys, I don't know that. It's going to happen. Some of them I think it will. Uh, of course, I still think that they probably should, and I think they will, uh, kick Jameer Johnson outside for spring ball and let him play tackle 
and see. That's if, an interesting situation because you got to figure out guard. You need Jerome Carvin or someone to step forward because uh, assuming well, Trey Smith's you'll have future, Ke- you'll have Kennedy back, so you can slide Johnson back over to guard, which probably helps. I think he might be better there. I don't know. I, I don't know that Ryan Ryan Johnson to me has got to prove himself with more competition next year. Oh, I agree, but I'm saying he, like I think for spring ball, I think you can have Kennedy back and you can slide him over there. Yeah, that and that probably gives, gives you better you. options. But Jerome Carvin to me is the guy you need to step forward and be the be the guy next year. Or be I, much closer. I, I tell to that. you, I, I'm going to come out and say it, Riley Locklear. You let me down this year, son. Yeah, I said I told people you were going to be good, and this is how you repay me. What'd you even do? Come on, son. I gave you a stamp of approval, and I don't just throw those around. I don't just throw those around, all right? I, I listen to people in the program. I watch with my own eyes, and I say, okay, I'm going to put these two things together, and I'm going to say, this kid right here is going to be good. I pegged you, Riley. I pegged you. And this is what you do to me, kid. Well, yeah, your, your seal of approval usually means a lot. So I, I think mean, it does. Your list of ninjas, is, it's not a good list right now. For the long, a lot of backups. For so many years, it was such a good list, and now the past couple of years, it's been like Latrell Williams has about as many career catches yeah. as me. Mm-hmm. That was one that did not work out so Austin well. Austin Smith, Eli Wolf, Austin, Eli no. Wolf, not trending in the right direction. Probably Austin, Austin, Austin Smith. Uh, I'm still going to be forever mad at that kid. That kid could go out there and have 35 uh, sacks next year, and I'd still be like, I'm still a little bit angry at you for making me look like a jerk for about two years in a row. All right, we can do a whole another podcast on yeah. Wes's failed ninjas. Let's get to the, this offensive coordinator. Everybody wants to talk Everybody about the offensive coordinator. What, what, makes you, what makes you think you're the one running this show right now? I am the one running this show. I got the mute button. I can run this thing real quick. I run the show in whatever room I'm in, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> so Tennessee needs an offensive coordinator, right? That's we, the word. We, Everybody wants you freeze. We, we know this. We know Tennessee fans have made their – they have done their Lion he's King. The, he's the Gruden of this search. They've done their Lion King uh, holding him up in the air kind of guy. Uh, their Simba now is uh, Hugh Freeze, who they have thrown up in the circle of life for all the animals to bow and show reverence to. Not the Butch Jones. On the of prairies of the, the Savannah. Song. Yeah, he um, – I'll be interested. I guess I'm not surprised because – and, again, let's say this straight up. Tennessee fans are not the only fans in the country who usually want the name. That seems that's pretty that's, much all fans. That's that's most, if not every fan. That that's most fans. They want the big name. But um, and I have also of the opinion that if you want to say I don't care about someone's past, I don't care about what people are going to say. I just want results. You know what? That's a level of honesty that I straight up respect. Cause you know who else is like that? Nick Saban. He does not care. He will take he will take on a guy, and he will say, you know what, you know, I just let's just win games. This guy can help me win games, and that I love that level of honesty. Two points for honesty. But I wonder why all of the praise, because I think there are other pretty good names out there that don't have nearly as much baggage. I mean, people are forgetting. It's been a couple years now, and in the society, that seems like an eternity. But when you go back and look back at some of that baggage, they, that's some pretty serious baggage. You can see why the SEC is saying, eh, we really don't want anyone else in the league to hire this guy. It's, it's, it's not good. Well, they didn't, want it, they didn't want anybody to hire him last year, and, and they were – and there were some people. Um, I don't. I don't know that that that's necessarily the case anymore. 
Breeze is obviously getting his name out there. He obviously wants to get back into coaching, and, and he obviously feels like he can get back in the SEC. Um, I don't know if he's – I don't know if he's talked to Greg Sankey. I don't know if Sankey's told him, okay, you've, you've served your time, whatever. I don't know about all that, but um, it, it does appear that, that he's, you know, very much a candidate for, for Tennessee's job. We believe they met this week. Yeah, Might have been I, Thursday. I think people are messing up the day. People keep saying Wednesday. I think it was Thursday. Ryan, tell us if we're wrong, but didn't Pruitt go out to California on Thursday night to see – or was it Florida? Not Florida, not California. I don't know why I think – I get him in Stroud. One time. of the coastal yeah. states. Uh, he was in Yeah, he, he was, was in, in Florida, Florida Thursday see, night to, to see, see Brian Maurer. To see Maurer. So early he started, I guess he might have been in Memphis Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, Wednesday and Wednesday night. Meeting with uh, – doing in-homes – correct mm-hmm. he was uh he stopped at some schools and, and also went to uh was in home with eric gray and bill norton that night so and obviously freeze is lived bill in memphis. norton what a great name obviously freeze has lived in memphis i think he still lives in oxford which is just down the road it's not an easy drive but it's a quick drive hour hour and a half tops if you like pine trees it's not a bad drive <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you um anyways uh and so but if you're freeze and a lot of tennessee fans are thinking well they need to get him now they need to get him now they need to make the move fast if they won't freeze. If you're freeze, aren't you saying, hold on, I want to see what else is open? Yeah. Because it seems like a pretty decent chance that Alabama, Alabama's job is going to be open. And, this, and Alabama tried to hire him last year as an analyst, and that was one of the couple of schools that the SEC blocked from hiring him. And this is an important next – Missouri was another one. Oh, what, if they br- what if they bring him in as an offensive coordinator and that means that they don't promote Butch to that position? Oh, man. Well, Butch might get the East Carolina job. But, but yeah. like, just, l- just let me have some fun with this, Pat. Just imagine, po- you know how much those two hate each but other, let's right? Let's consider like, the alternative. Oh my god! Oh, that's a good point. That would be. Oh. But let's consider the flip side of this. What if Please, that didn't dear happen? Baby Jesus, make that happen. What if that didn't happen and Butch actually got the OC job at Bama? He's not getting the OC job. No, that stop. that would be the most surprising stop. part of that. Stop. I think that's what stop. Tennessee fans this wouldn't is, mind that at all. This is dumber oh, yeah. than West telling Tennessee fans to go back and watch the Vanderbilt game. <laughs> um, somebody's it, about to get the mute button hit. It, if you're Hugh Freeze and, and you have the option of going to coach Tua Tungavailoa for one year, and it's not just Tua. They've got, I mean, you can throw it to any one, a handful of guys, and they can turn a five-yard catch into an 80-yard touchdown. Would you, wouldn't, you pick ten, wouldn't you pick Alabama over Tennessee right now? Well, yeah. It's a much quicker <laughs> path to a head, coach, head coaching well, yeah. job. And, and, In and, a word, yes. And, and so, I mean, if, if from Freeze's standpoint, that's obviously, you know, Tennessee may want him now. They might, he may be the guy for Tennessee, but if you're freeze, you're, you you got to be saying, hold on, I want to see what else is out there. And uh, a lot of people think that Mike Loxley is going to get the Maryland job. Uh, he's got a lot of familiarity there. He's rehabbed his career. He had a brutal time at New Mexico. Uh, he's done a nice job this year. He's got the Nick Saban seal of uh, approval as West types on his large keyboard. Uh, it is large, isn't it? And uh, Well, you know what they say about people with large keyboards? They type loudly. They're blind, so they have to have large keys. You don't understand. Um, and so it, it, if that job is open, that's, um, you know, Al- Alabama would have options. And I think Tennessee's got some good options, even if it's not – even if you took Freeze out of the picture. Um, and to me, that makes hiring Freeze um, – I, I just I – don't, I don't know that the, that the risk is worth the – worth it. Is yeah. he th- is he that good of an offensive coordinator? I mean, I don't he, want. I don't he had, want a, he had a, he, one of his old uh, offenses at Ole Miss, led the league in scoring and total offense. That was 2015. But some of his other teams weren't. You know, they were fourth, ninth, eighth. You know, other levels in the league, they weren't 
you know, they weren't lighting it up 50 points mm-hmm. a game every year. He's a great offensive mind, yes. But he's also got a ton of baggage. Yeah. That's and I think if you're Tennessee, you could get somebody who's, you know, is the different is, – is Freeze that much better than some of these other guys, some of these, you know, Chip Lindsey, Dan Enos, um, Freddie Kitchens even, who's done some nice things with the Browns getting after getting promoted there. Some of these guys, uh, the guy at NC State, Drinkwitz. What if what if the Lions have to shake up their staff? I I, I don't know why people continue to be infatuated with Jim Bob Cooter. I don't Listen think he has no connection what to Jerry. I'm saying is, yeah, he's not. What if the Lions shake up their staff? I'm just throwing names. His tie, his, I'm throwing names. Know, his, his name, his tie is Tennessee, and, yeah. and Pruitt's not going to hire somebody he doesn't know. He's he's or shown coached against. Yeah, he's shown that he wants a guy that he's at least pretty familiar. And if with. And if you're an NFL here, coach, why would you come to a college job where you have to recruit and all that stuff? But 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 uh, David just, Johnson, I guess, was the one hire Pruitt made where it was a guy he and that was somebody familiar. that Burton Burns ref, you know referenced yeah. to him at, yeah. at Alabama years ago. And he and Burton are so close that yeah, yeah that was that was um, gold to him. And so I, I just and it's not even the national perception thing. If Tennessee hires Hugh Freeze after what went down with you know the whole Shiano thing, they're you know Tennessee fans and administration will, will get ripped over you know raked over the coals by the Pat Forties and Dan Wilkins. That that stuff doesn't matter because what ma- perception matters a little bit, but the perception that matters the most is what your fans and what your recruits and what your admin and what your bosses think. It doesn't matter what national columnists at insert national outlet X care. And the sad thing is, if Freeze was hired at Tennessee, and if he gets say Freeze ends up at Alabama, no one will say a word about it. He won't, that wants to, you know, Nick Saban will not catch a word of heat about you're, hiring Hugh Freeze on. His you're staff. right though that the Shiano uproar probably does result in a couple columns. I from mean, it, oh, they're they're already Forty's uh, uh, already done it this week, um, calling out the hypocrisy of uh, of what happened last year to what you know Tennessee fans now being like, hey, we we want Freeze the we'll lati- stomach in the latest proof that Greg Shiano has many many good friends. Exactly, in the media. And, and that's not even that's not even the perception I'm talking. About. I'm talking about if you're recruiting against Tennessee, I mean, you've got all sorts of ammo to use with you freeze if he's your if he's your offensive coordinator hey you want to go coach for that guy maybe he's still calling those escorts yeah maybe he'll get your son hooked up with him i mean that yeah. that i'm not you know negative recruiting happens maybe, People can maybe, say it doesn't. Maybe, maybe he'll get you put on probation it's cutthroat and that's the other thing you know a lot of ncaa baggage we we all know how selective the ncaa is and in, can in, tennessee in, afford and enforcing and, and when, all that stuff. When you were lucky, Tennessee by the... I didn't uh, get to finish my point. Thanks. Bro. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm saying if you've got a guy on your staff that has past NCAA baggage, and you know the NCAA is, you know, they pick their spots about who they go after. However long Hugh Freeze would be on your staff, you would need to be walking yes. a tightrope because yep. you got other people that are out there that are saying, you know, other coaches out there they are going to be keeping an ear and, and saying, hey, what's this guy doing? And which he coaches, cheated before, we'll do it again. And which coaches out there are willing to invite that kind of scrutiny from the NCAA? Yeah, exactly. Tennessee. There's a lot of risk there with the Hugh Freeze hire, yeah. plus the fact that he could leave in a year. Yeah. Uh, and Jerry Grantano can have five or offensive coordinators in five That's years. That's a good point, too. It's easy to, to think about just the here and now for, and forget the fact that on more than one occasion in the past decade alone. It's be four and four, not five and five or whatever. In more than Math one occasion, more than one occasion in the past decade, Tennessee, by the skin of its coin pouch, has avoided lack of institutional control charges from the NCAA in different sports. No, it, it would be five in five years. Tennessee. That means in 2020 he'd have another one. So it'd be no, you're right. Tennessee. I shouldn't doubt myself. When yeah. you've gotten, when the NCAA has really been pretty light on you as an institution a couple of times and given you the benefit of the doubt and showed that you are not, they have enough faith in you that they're not going to slap lack of institutional control on you. If you 
respond to all of that by hiring Hugh Freeze and then Hugh Freeze does something that gets you in trouble, what do you think the NCAA is going to do about that? The NCAA cannot be everywhere at the same time. It does not have the manpower, and frankly, I don't know that it has the interest to do that. But if you embarrass the NCAA or if you lie to the NCAA, they will come after you like white on rice. They will go after you hard. And you are just, if you hire Hugh Freeze, you are just asking for a microscope that I'm not sure you want to deal with. And, and that microscope would be only at Tennessee. If Freeze goes, if Freeze goes to Alabama, he'll have a great year because, I mean, they sure. could put you or me as the offensive coordinator with Tua and that, and that talent, and they would light up the scoreboard. Yes. If, you know, if Freeze slow plays Tennessee, waits for Alabama, gets Alabama, like I said, there will be not a negative word written about it from the perception they won't even bring it up during games next year. All of his act, all of his baggage would be, oh, he's you know, Saban's rehabbing another coach. It was a great move. It's a savvy move. You know, it's great that he's, you know, he reined in Lane Kiffin and he got Hugh Freeze to, you know, all this stuff. The the yeah, the he, difference he, in the he, perception. He, he really Freeze, reined in Joey Freshwater. Well, I love you. I love you, Lane. But come on, man. Point made. But like that, that's the thing, though. If if Freeze goes to Alabama, Alabama will get raked over the coals. If Freeze goes to Tennessee. Tennessee will get raked over the coals. It'll be brought up every day, every you know, and you'll have to deal with all that. And uh, that's just the nature of the thing right now. And and that if you're Tennessee, are you willing to take that risk when you've got some other quality coaches out there that you get to bring in that Pruitt knows, whose ideologies will mac, you know mix you know, match what what he wants to do? And uh, is that something that that is Tennessee willing to go down that road? I think people need to. And again, and and, and at this point, again, I don't, I don't know that he, I, I'm not convinced that that Freeze is this golden you know savior of a coach i mean tennessee fans thought john gruden would come in here and win 10 games this season and he's gone to the nfl and has torpedoed the raiders yeah he's not an offensive savant he's spectacular he's gone he's gone in there and really really dropped a big cow pie in the middle of that organization it's gotten bad freeze is a great offensive coach but i think he's being he's being grudenized if you will yeah how much is he getting credit for the fact that he had chad kelly and you know shea patterson all these, well, he's you, getting a lot of credit because he beat Alabama twice. Even you, one right, time but Alabama I'm saying, but, but I'm saying, how much of that was because he had quarterbacks that gave Alabama fits? But go back, and again, if you're the kind, if you brought in all that talent, if yeah. you're the type Legally. who doesn't care, if you say, you know what, Tennessee's, LOL. if you think Tennessee's been too mediocre for too long, and I want Tennessee to win, and I don't care what happens to make Tennessee win again, cool, I'll buy that. I can live with that. And and in all honesty, no matter, I can only speak for myself, but no matter who Tennessee hires no matter what the baggage is, no matter who that is, I will give that person a fair shot because that's what I believe as a person. But I think you really need to go back and Google how that Hugh Freeze era ended at Ole Miss and then ask yourself, am I comfortable with this? And if you are, then cool. That, that's your decision. But I think is with some of the other names that are out there that are in play for Tennessee, I just think it – would be smarter to go in a different direction. Now, if they hire him, that's fine. Totally cool. Okay, we'll give him another fair shot. Maybe he is reformed. Maybe he can be. Can you be born again again? I don't know. I'm a Catholic. I don't know how that works. But maybe he is born again again, and he's going to be on the straight and narrow, and maybe he – and I'm not making a joke. I'm honestly saying I don't know. Yeah. Like, can you go – can he be that guy? Okay, cool. That would be, that'd be nice. But I just don't know how – you can trust 
that guy. And if, Although and if, and if, I, I, I'd be interested if you remember some of the, the, the Twitter shots he took of me back in the day. And, I'd be and, interested and, to know. And, and, you know, we all could be stupid wrong. I mean, we could be sitting here and next year they go and average 45 points because Freeze is an offensive savant. And, mm-hmm. you know, this podcast will be on the internet.com for eternity. You guys can just bump it again and laugh at us. Oh, I don't. Th- there's been several dumb tweets I've had over the years. I don't delete them. I let them there. I let them stand there for the sake cold, of history. Freezing cold takes. Yeah, cold takes exposed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I, I th- see. I think this question. I mean, we're asking the right question about Hugh Freeze, but I don't think that's the only question here. I think the big question Jeremy Pruitt's got to ask, uh, because let's face it, in most offensive coordinator searches or, or or defensive coordinator, whatever the case, it's not just about the name and fans want the name. They always want the reputation, the resume, all that. It's about the fit. And I I say this because what happened with Tyson Helton or what appeared to be happening with Tyson Helton ought to be a a good indication of what needs to happen. this Bob Shoup too. Bob Shoup also, if you're going to bring in a guy and he's not going to run, be able to run what he wants to run, then don't bring in the guy in the first place or make sure that there's an open and free flow of information and ideas and everything so that it actually is a good situation. Because if you've got two guys that are on the diff- on different pages from, from the get-go, you're probably better off working with a guy that is much more aligned with you schematically. That's my thought. Yes. Uh, I thought the Tyson Helton hire was an odd fit from the get-go. And hire, paying him one point two million dollars at that point was another Hashtag story. Ryan knew. Well, well, I don't. I don't know. I'm not saying I knew it was going to go badly, but I, I did think what, it was. I don't know. What he, I don't know what he was making at USC. To be yeah, I, no, me. that's true. It's I, a private school. We don't know. I don't. But yeah, I, I don't know that. But I thought it was an odd fit, though, because w- w- what we thought of what Jeremy Pruitt wanted to do offensively didn't sound like what USC had done with Tyson Helton. Didn't sound like what Helton ran at Western Kentucky. It didn't sound like it matched his background. But you know, I was kind of like, hey, let's let's see how those ideas blend together and sure enough it it sounds like there was at least some friction there so I I think Jeremy Pruitt's got to decide does he want to take this offense a different direction does he want to make some tweaks schematically and if he does he's got to figure out what those tweaks are and and maybe it's more about the 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 higher the personality maybe for a guy like Hugh Freeze or someone who's more established maybe you would let it let them change and and run their system whatever they they would see fit but if not you know if, if promoting from within is the best way to go it's not the sexiest hire, but sometimes that's the right hire. Mike, Mike DeBoard was an unpopular hire at Tennessee. Undis- indisputably, when you look back on it, it was the right hire because look how good Tennessee was offensively under him. And again, so, that, he, had, he had a really good quarterback. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's, what, that's what's most important. That is, and what, what worked about and he, that and he, was – And he wasn't the one choosing to not give the ball to Alvin Kamara. That came right. from above. Yeah, and he, and he was on the same page with Butch Jones, and they knew that. That was one of the reasons Butch Jones made that hire because they were they – were, I mean, he, Butch Jones was his protege. He was – he was always going to run the same type of stuff. He that, loved he loved Uncle Mike. Yeah, so they they were a good fit. I, I think there's that's why there's nothing wrong with Jeremy Pruitt going with a more a guy he's got much more of a history with than Hugh Freeze. If that ends up being the way he goes, I think the uh, the if he wants to do something that he's more familiar with offensively, then I think you could look pretty clearly at the quarterbacks coaches at Alabama and Clemson are guys who, if they're ready to be coordinators. I think those guys are those guys are up his alley, and then, you know, you could say like, well, people talking about Chip Lindsey, the Auburn doesn't run the same offense as Tennessee. No, but that's Malzahn's offense. I'd like to see what Lindsey wants to do if it's his own kind of thing. I don't, and, and I think Pruitt, you know, what's interesting is that if Lindsey stays at Auburn, there's reports that Malzahn has to give him more power of the offense. So maybe they're changing their offense a little bit at Auburn anyway. So I, I don't, I don't really know that the specifics on that, but I do know that. There are some names out there, and I think it's also – there have been enough talk – there's been enough talk out there 
that Pruitt has potentially told some kids that Tennessee's new OC might be coming from a current Power 5 place or current like college football playoff contender or the NFL level. So that's something to keep an eye on because I don't think Pruitt lies to recruits very often. I think he's got a reputation of, of for better or for worse, being a pretty straight shooter with, an, with recruiters. Wouldn't an internal candidate fit that description too? Just that he's had that background, yeah. He yeah. could, he could, yeah. And I think well, an internal candidate, you know, I, I think that could be, yeah. I think that, and, and honestly, well, that that suggests that he's willing to wait, yeah, yeah. to get the right guy, and that mm-hmm. says that he's not going to go super fast. He's not going to rush a decision just to have somebody in here for the, yeah, know, to have somebody well, in by the early sign. And here, here's oh, the other I've thing got too. A segue, go on. Well, here's the other thing too. Brian, don't don't ruin my segue. Don't ruin my yeah. segue. Brian Maurer, as we've talked about, is basically the only commitment Tennessee's got to worry about. W- well, losing just landed one from what we've from what we've don't kill <laughs> my segue from what we've seen don't so far vibe. from what we've seen so far there's not many guys in this class who look like they're shaky based on tyson helton leaving so as, as long as everything's okay with brian mauer you can wait you can you could go through the early signing period so the first theory. r is silent yes it is um but Eric, you know, Eric Gray, there's some offensive targets out there that might ideally like to know before the early signing period, but you definitely don't have to rush to something this weekend or early next week. Here. And, and, and by the way, while this search goes on, guys, for, for, the sake, for everyone's sanity, watch the Twitter accounts that you follow and retweet and post on GoVols 24-7's message Don't board. get parodied. Yeah, don't get, don't get fooled by a parody account because they are in full force during these coaching searches, and we've already seen a couple of prominent people in our business get fooled by them. Including one of us that's in this room. Man, <laughs> there's, dude, there's like 12 fake accounts that have my name on them, and half of them now have the same picture I use. So well, it's Wes, like, Wes didn't get fooled by it. He just got yeah. spoofed. Yeah. I but mean, some it, people have been fooled the, by The it. real Wes, Wes Rucker if is you don't, at Wes If Rucker. you don't see the check mark, it's not me. It's very it's West Rucker two four seven no underscores yes. no spaces that's, no that's no why Twitter letters well that's why Twitter blue checks exist is so you can say hey that's a, that person I don't have a blue check yet do you want I can get not, you one it's not West Bleeper twenty four seven either I can the, get you one if there. you start being nicer to me well, it looks like I'm not gonna get one well then <laughs> that's your loss because here here was my here was my segue earlier that now has been made awkward uh, if Jeremy you're talking about how he doesn't need to hurry. If Jeremy Pruitt can go get one of the best quarterback commitments or quarterback prospects in the 2020 class, if he can go get that kid on board and committed without an OC or quarterbacks coach currently in his program. While beating out the biggest, baddest coach in the history of college football. (laughs) Who loves Jim Harbaugh. Who loves whole milk and red meat. Can you tell what Patrick Patrick thinks of Jim Harbaugh? (laughs) What a week it's been for the He's such a great coach that Urban Meyer kicked his you-know-what last week. Again. But if if he, you know, if you can go get... What a face plant. Commitments from kids. Can we talk about that? We can. If you you go get a kid like Harrison Bailey, who, by the way, if you want to know why Harrison Bailey's playing for Tennessee, go listen to Harrison Bailey talking. Go listen to Jeremy Pruitt talking. You tell me why he picked them. He's like, yeah, I, I know. I heard that. I know what that sounds like. You know that it just sound like they need to be. It's like that that accent in Michigan that would be a, that'd be a lost cause. He wouldn't understand anyone. They he's wouldn't understand an, him. He's got an interesting accent. It's yeah, not a. It's pretty thick. The uh, but if you can go get a guy like Harrison Bailey to commit to your program, when you don't have an OC or quarterbacks coach, you don't have to hurry up and hire an OC because 
you can recruit the darn thing yourself for now and then figure it out later. So that well, to me, I'm gonna be running plays next year. I'm gonna be calling yeah. plays next well, year. I told you, run that split beer. We always, we should point out that that Paul Wayne Johnson P. is technically on the market, and Pruitt did say a couple weeks ago that if he was calling the plays, he'd be running a a wing tee. So I'm just saying, <laughs> be still. My, <laughs> that would be the be still my beating heart. If, if they start running the option, I'm going to go cover a different team. I'm not watching that. I'm not watching that crap. I will be. Years, I, I will be at the stadium every week, like six hours early. Games will be fired over. up and ready hey, to play that games game. Games will be over two hours. Ready to, I'll be like, can I go? Can I? Can I go out there and be a part of this? Can I go? Can I? I want to. I want to go out there and cut block somebody. Come Look on. at the bright side. Games are over in three hours. But uh, yeah. True. No. But uh, yeah, Harrison Bailey, huge pickup for Tennessee. Obviously, this is a guy who's not going to sign for another year in all likelihood. You know, I know there's been that reclassification talk out there, which which Bailey. Kind of shot down on Twitter uh, before his announcement on Thursday. We'll we'll see about that. I think that option is maybe on the table for him if he wants to go that route, but I, I don't know that that's his plan right now, and it's something he's still got to think about, you know, probably in the spring after signing day before he would even make any kind of decision like that. But regardless of when he gets to Tennessee, this is a big pickup. As you said, didn't have to have the offensive coordinator hire made. Um, I think it helped that his decision had basically been made for a few weeks, it sounds like. You know, two or three weeks, basically, he's been yeah. leaning toward Tennessee uh before that so you know tennessee give them credit for being able to weather the storm uh you wondered it when that news broke about tyson helton leaving if harrison bailey was leaning toward tennessee would that cause him to delay his decision or uh, change his mind and, and obviously it didn't and give give jeremy pruitt and his staff credit for that for having the relationship to overcome that but that's a big deal to to get a quarterback early in any class uh, a highly ranked one uh, it, it makes an impression it's big I mean, for perception, for having the player, he, he he's a guy who legitimately could be the quarterback of the future for Tennessee. Now, I'll caution everyone to say, don't assume that he is for sure the savior at quarterback because we've seen this too many times now. Highly ranked quarterbacks still have to get better once they get to college. Uh, and, and this is why quarterback has gotten so hard to project. Three-star quarterbacks end up going in the first round of the NFL draft all the time. Four stars end up never playing it down in some cases because they just don't develop the way people think. It's all about what you do when you get on a college campus, and I think that's a big deal. And In Harrison's case, you love that he has the tools, you like his mental makeup, you like his odds of developing, but he's still got to do it when he gets there. Now, that said, if he keeps on this track, he's got a chance to be a starter pretty early in his career, maybe even a day one starter if Jared Garantano was to leave if, or if, if the job is, is up for grabs going to 2020. But this is a big pickup, and He's got a bunch of talented teammates at, at Marietta High School uh, that he can help recruit, uh, including Eric Gilbert, a, uh, a five-star uh, athlete that, that Tennessee is uh, involved with and has had on campus before, but uh, not not the favorite for right now. But this this definitely gives them even more of a um, of a chance at him. Ramel Keaton, another another Marietta standout, obviously already headed to Tennessee, signing in a couple weeks uh, with the Vols, the four-star receiver a handful of other guys in the 2020 class at Marietta alone that Bailey will recruit now. So it helps you there. It helps you in Georgia in general, and it helps to have a quarterback to go out and recruit running backs and receivers and yep. tight ends and linemen. This is a, it's a really nice building block. It gets some, gets the ball rolling. You've got four commitments already for 2020. So it's a good change, start. Changes the narrative from that Vandy loss pretty quickly. It definitely does. And it's uh and, and it's a prelude to what could happen here down the stretch for Tennessee in the 2019 class. It, you know, may kind of set the stage for what could be a pretty big finish here uh, on this year's class coming up. Uh, you, you got Eric Gray, the four-star Michigan running back commitment that still could flip to Tennessee. Is, is Harbaugh about to take another L? 
He might take another L. Uh, it looks like he's not going to end up at Michigan either way, so Harbaugh will take an L on that regardless of who gets the W, I guess. Man, he's such a good coach. But, I can't uh, get over it. So there's, so there's Eric Gray. There's, so much winning. There's so Owen, much winning. Owen Papo, the five-star Auburn linebacker commitment. Hey, who hey has, technically they finished second in the division this year, so hey, improving. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> better from fourth. A uh, lot, of, lot of whole milk, red meat, and tucked-in sweatshirts. Uh, Owen Papo, we mentioned this week on Go Vols 24-7, will take an official visit to Tennessee in December. So that, that was big news for the Vols. So a lot of things that still could fall here down the stretch that could make this a, a pretty impressive 2019 class. So the, the Harrison-Bailey news might, might sort of get the ball rolling just uh, on, on what could be a busy few weeks here with coaches on the road and obviously the early signing period now less than three weeks away. You make an interesting point about quarterback talent, and we've seen a handful of guys that were high, highly ranked that didn't pan out and other guys that were not, you know, not – there were maybe mid, mid, more mid-tier recruits. I mean, Quentin Dormady was the savior, and he started five games at Tennessee, and that was it. The counter, Injuries hurt. The but. counterpoint to that is you look at the, the teams right now, the five best teams with the best chance of getting a college football player. Yeah. Two is a five-star. Kyler Murray, I think, was probably a five-star. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is the top 100 guy. Yep. Who am I missing? Jake Fromm. Yeah. Trevor now, Lawrence. You, Trevor Lawrence. Here's a, you like your odds better with a highly ranked guy, but they're also, for every example like that, there's a Carson Wentz who was a nobody who goes to an FCS True. school and makes it to a, to, into a first-round pick. Uh, Marcus Mariota goes to Oregon. I think his only other offers were Memphis and, and some other non-Power 5 school and Oregon. I mean that that's how, how did he complete 19 straight passes and lose by 17? Uh, Explain it to me, Mr. Titans. I I couldn't tell you. They're, they're not very it's typical good. Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Took 55 minutes and 50 seconds. Middle Tennessee residents, send your send your questions poor, and comments to at p brown 24 seven. Poor Ian Book at Notre Dame. He's the he's the outlier. He's a, he was only a three star. Yeah. So there there are some outliers there. Eric Ainge with a three star prospect. Turn into a fine quarterback at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so there, there are plenty of examples out there of guys who who were not. Uh, Riley Ferguson was a three star, but I thought had, had NFL talent. Went to Memphis and did good things. So he can sling the ball. He can sling that pill. He can sling that pill. So there, there are plenty of examples of guys who were, likes to say sling that tater. Yeah. So you don't have to be. Sling that, he can sling that tater. <laughs> so you don't have to be an elite quarterback, but there's a lot to like about Bailey. Good build, good arm, quick release. He's gotten accurate, uh, more accurate, I think, over the past couple of years. A three-year starter in high school, so he's already really experienced. He liked that. I mean, there's there's a lot to like there, and I think it starts uh, not just the talent, but the mental makeup. I think he, you know, hearing hearing that from some people close to him uh, leading up to his announcement, I think is, is even more encouraging because to me, with quarterbacks, it's so much about what you've got between the ears and how you process things, how, how you're going to deal with competition. That's a big part of it, and, and Harrison Bailey, I think, has that. And that's that's obviously with recru- recruiting a quarterback is that's maybe a position where you have to know the the person the most. Yeah, that's um, because he's such an important figure and leader on your team that you need to know kind of how he responds to different situations. Yep. And Tennessee's got him on campus five times this year alone. They got him at, at a camp this summer. Uh, they got him on campus for a spring practice, which kind of got the ball rolling in their direction when he visited for the first time since the coaching change. He really wasn't that interested in Tennessee before. He'd been here two years ago for the Florida game uh, back when he was a freshman. And he, this kid's been getting offers since the summer after his eighth grade year, basically. He's, he's been a big-time prospect for a while, so he's used to the attention, but he's not all about the attention at the same time. Uh, and, and Tennessee's new staff obviously liked a lot about him and kind of I don't know that he was the top name on their board from the get-go. They knew they liked him, but the more they got involved with him, the more they realized they had a shot, and the more they got to know him, I think they saw, hey, this is a this could be a good fit if we can actually get this kid. And uh, it ended up being a great possibility and, and give them credit for closing down the stretch. They got him back here for three games this season. Um, so they, they've done a good job there. And Marietta, you know, we'll see if Tennessee can build on that pipeline. But you got Derek Tinsley, the former Vols running back, who's 
on the, the staff there as an assistant coach. Um, he's the brother of Caleb Cox, who's a Tennessee grad assistant. So you got a nice little pipeline going to Marietta High School. If Tennessee can build on that at all with any more of the 2020 guys, uh, that's that's good news for them. I think I saw it was either you or Grant that posted on the board that this was a lot of Pruitt making Bailey a priority, right? That he was like maybe his main recruiter. Is that right? Yeah, he he played a big role. Haven't in Haven't there been some guys too like Norton that Pruitt? Yeah. That Pruitt's just been all over from Pruitt's, the beginning. Been like, I'm gonna get you. I'm Pruitt's get been you. personally involved with Norton really uh, way more than any assistant coach uh, on Tennessee staff. So there have been some cases like that. You know, Butch Jones did that with Drew Richmond. You know, you see that sometimes with head coaches, but Pruitt's done it with a few important guys. Uh, with with Bailey, coaches just were able to start messaging him on January on September 1st. So you know, it's been three months that essentially you can start. Uh, since you've gotten to start uh, texting and calling, uh, not even really calling, mostly just texting and DMing these these 2020 kids. But, yeah, Pruitt and, and Tyson Helton, for the most part, have been recruiting him, and Pruitt played a, uh, a pretty good role in, in his recruitment. So give him credit and uh, shows when they when they set their sights on a guy and can go get him like that, that's uh, obviously a good sign for what they can do in the future. Sl- speaking of quarterbacks who can sling that tater, Wes, yeah. the floor is yours. I, I think that – you know, when good things happen, sometimes there has to be an equal and opposite reaction for bad. And it is with a very heavy heart that I announce to you right now on this podcast that Willie Football is no longer going to be a member of the Tennessee football program. Pour one out for Will the Thrill McBride, a.k.a. Willie Football, who was... This is kind of another Wes's dog, right? I like watching that kid throw the football. I do. I think he get, he has a great release, and uh, I just I think in the right system, not the one Tennessee's running now or wants to run, but in the right kind of system, if you spread the field and let him run around and make some plays, I think he could be a good college quarterback. I, I, I firmly believe that. I, I, I agree with that, but pro- probably at a non-Power 5 school, I would say, at this do we, point. Do, do we think it my, – my initial prediction is he's going to go to El Paso. And reunite with Chico. Chico. Chico loved him some Willie McBride. You know what? Does he want to? Does he want to get his picks up? Does he want to get them picks up? That's if Chico doesn't picks get. Up. That's, that's if Chico doesn't get the Utah State job, right? Yeah, if Chico doesn't called home by the Ags, then he might have to get his Ags up. Get your Ags up. You know, I, I listen. I've been a a proponent of Will McBride. Now, I did not think that he needed to be Tennessee starter this season. I did not say that. I never have said that. Let's not exaggerate this. But I do – there's something about that kid that I just like watching him play. I think I like he's – like moxie. He's got some, man. He does. He can run around. He's not afraid of anything. He's kind of – he gets in people's faces. You know, I his teammates respected him for a reason. I, I think he, he's a guy he was, who – He was very well liked by his teammates. He They loved him. And, and I think that if he goes somewhere where he has a chance to play some – and, you know, get that experience that you need, throw a couple picks, get that out of the way, get your picks up in a different way. You know, I, I think he's a guy who could do some some good things. I think he could be a pretty solid player, and I, I wouldn't – I'd like to see him go somewhere where he can play because I think the kid can play. Not, wonder, maybe not at Tennessee, but he can I, play. I wonder if Memphis might be an option too because that's where he was committed. Yeah. Uh, Mike Norvell is still there. Yeah. Um, love to see, but – I'm not uh, sure if he wants to go home, closer to home or not. I'm yeah. Not sure. He, he's from Texas, so Houston. There seem to, to be a lot of chance, a lot of opportunities there. Um, Houston, TCU, state. something like that. So TCU's but, offense, he could do that. Yeah, I just I, I think he's more of a spread guy that you have to get him. You have to use his, his running ability because I don't think he has maybe the same arm strength as, as some of the co- no. as some of the guys that you need to play and what I think Tennessee wants to do. He's got a, he's got a quick release though. He does have and a really I, quick think, release and can, and I can think spin what it. Tennessee wants to do is have sort of an RPO based offense. As much as Pruitt talked yeah. all season about RPOs, 
uh, and how hard they are to defend because he's a defensive guy and he hates trying to stop them. Exactly. And, and, and the way he explained it after the Missouri game was maybe the most telling because um, he said that, you know, when you're a defensive line, you can't rush the passer because you assume it's a run play. Yep. And if you commit people to stop the run, they just pick one-on-ones. Quarterback picks his spots. Um, and, and if you say we're going to play coverage and they just run it. And so yeah, it's like every time. And, and, and I'm gonna and, talk about the Vanderbilt game again. So you finish your point. And, and some of in some of the guys, I, I think you see some of that in what he's in, in some of the guys he's looking at. Some of the guys he's looking at have experience in that. And yeah, um, you know, Chip Lindsey's a guy that was sort of an air raid guy. Then he got mm-hmm. to Auburn, and and I would think his offense would look like a little bit of air raid, mm-hmm. a lot of RPOs, and and sort of the run game schemes that that Gus has used at Auburn. And, and Auburn has until this season has been excellent running the football. Yeah, they're um, really, they really had, good at it. This is, you know, this is going to end their streak of like maybe ten years of, of at least one thousand uh, one one thousand yard rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know crazy stat. And again, I don't know if, how much you can put some of Auburn's struggles this season on on, on Lindsey if he's the guy. Something Stidham, just something just hasn't been something right. Something happened down there. to Jaron Stidham, who does have a year left, by the way. Yeah, he he was kind of. It's um, like you heard stories about him being aloof, and the guys yeah. weren't kind of buying in and, with him. And and, and, and and you you hear this report that our our Auburn partners did, like Gus taking less money or taking a lower buyout to come back, and it's just like that situation just looks entirely dysfunctional. I would I would say you know what, pay me the money you offered to pay me, or pay me a check and I'm leaving. But you know, uh, Elijah Drinkwitz in NC State's another Gus yeah. guy. Um, yeah, he 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 was a guy that. He's been involved um, in this a little he bit. Was, he was on the – he was at Auburn the first go-around mm-hmm. when uh, Gus was the offensive coordinator, whereas uh, Chip was there in 13 when Gus got the job as a head coach um, the first time. So, uh, And you look at what Chip did at, at Southern Miss, too. I mean, his first year they weren't very good, but that was when Jeff Munkin, who, by the way, is now an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Yep. Um, he was calling the plays, and then Lindsey did it the second year, and they were top 15 nationally. They had four guys on their roster. They're now on NFL rosters. Uh, Nick Mullins was a quarterback. He's now with the yeah. 49ers. Ito Smith with the Falcons, a couple of receivers. Big numbers there. Um, did a nice job at Arizona State. So that we were talk- kind of talking earlier about you know, they've got some quality options that don't come with as much baggage as you freeze. Yeah. Lindsey's one of those guys. I think Drinkwitz is one of those guys. Uh, NC State had a really good – Offense this season, they weren't great running the ball, but yeah, if, if that's you, because they had a, a quarterback that's probably going to be a potentially a first two or three round pick. Yeah, like if you if you run if you run an RPO offense and you have a quarterback pulling the strings who knows what he's doing with it, it is so so tough to deal with because you saw Vanderbilt spread the field consistently. And it was they, mainly Missouri though. Missouri was the one that really killed Tennessee on RPO. See, I thought Vanderbilt did a lot too because Vanderbilt did a lot of those kind of. You know what they do is they run trip sets, but they're, like, way wide on the trips. And what they do is they got three guys over there, right? If you've got two defensive two defensive backs to cover their three guys, every single time they're throwing a wide receiver screen. Then you've got one guy blocking one guy, one guy blocking another guy, and then you've got a guaranteed, like, seven yeah. yards v- at the very v- least. Vandy did some RPO stuff, but I feel like Missouri, like, every play was an RPO. Yeah. And they just let Drew Locke kind of – Man the, man the controls. Because it, 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 it requires you have to make a really, really quick decision and an accurate decision at quarterback. In Tennessee this year, I mean, there were times where, you know, even in the last game, Pruitt kind of frustratingly said, well, you know, for some reason we had the quarterback pull it and lose five yards on a play when we had the pass. You know, he just – he didn't 
the the one thing, and I I was high on Garantano this season because of the toughness, because of some things that he did spinning the ball down the down the field. One thing that he very, very, very clearly has to improve at is his decision making in those RPOs. It was a problem. Yeah. It was a problem all season, and it it was kind of the blight on an otherwise pretty solid year for him. He took care of the ball. He was a little too conservative at times, but he took care of the ball mostly. He did what he needed to do to help the team compete, but he did not make great decisions consistently on the RPO. Sometimes he was good at it. Sometimes he was really not. And you know, if you learn that offense and and you can be a lot better at it in your second year, there's no reason why he can't improve at that. But you know, Vanderbilt to a, to a, to an extent, and especially Missouri to a large extent, showed just how much you can do, how much you can leverage a defense. And Bama did it too. I mean, Bama did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And had Tua making those decisions. And, and, and with Tua, he could pull the ball down and run for 30 yards if he needed to. I mean, they just – South Carolina did it too with yeah, Bentley. Yeah, that just – you know, that makes it so tough to deal with. And so I think you're going to see a guy who's got a lot of RPO concepts because, you know, you see these kind of – these offenses occasionally take wave and, and they just take over college football and no one knows how to deal with them for a few years. And right now it's the RPO that's giving everybody problems. And so now what you're going to see is – People are going to change the way they recruit defensively. They're going to put different schemes out there. They're going to put different formation packages and personnel out there. They're going to find something to sort of slow this down. But right now, if you run it right, few people are slowing it down. So why would you not go get someone who does that? That seems to be the thing to do. I mean, I get tired of hearing about RPOs. Just like you heard, oh, the shotgun spread and the West Coast offense. You just you hear these things take over for, for bits of time, and you just get so tired of hearing them. But right now, nobody's stopping it when it, it's run well. So why not do? It's it's NFL teams are killing with it, and that's how we've kind of sit, you know transitioned to this discussion is because talking about McBride, and I think very clearly he was the guy from the minute that the Tennessee switched from a spread to more of a traditional offense was he was the guy that was going to struggle the most because yeah. he's um, like five eleven. He, he's more of a system quarterback um, than maybe some of the other guys they had on the roster, and, and people, you know you you make a your offensive coordinator position comes open, that's going to be one of the main questions is, well, philosophically, schematically, which direction do you want to take it? And I don't know that, you know, I think over the over the years you, you've had kind of the, the pro style and spread kind of – those lines have been blurred a little bit because everybody does yeah. a little bit of something. Everybody's got some spread concepts even in their quote-unquote pro style. You know, spread offenses still have some, you know, some of those spread teams that run the ball really well have some power kind of pro style runs. Teams are doing more and more to leverage you defensively. Yeah. They're trying to spread the field, whether you call it a spread or not. Yeah. They, you know, of course you do see different things because the Rams are, have a beautiful offense with some of that, those sort of off base kind of trips formations they yeah. have and those kind of weird bunch spreads. It's like a spread, but a bunch at the same time. And they're, you know, running wide routes and just destroying people with that kind of stuff. And, and what offenses now are doing, it's so clear that it used to be about getting the bigger, stronger guys and trying to just physically overpower you and then do some play-action passes. Now there is so much more to this game. You have to be, if not really intelligent, you have to have at least what they call FBI football intelligence because the decisions that they put on these guys on every snap, you know, especially if you're a quarterback – offensive lineman or middle linebacker or safety. If you're anywhere in the heart of the field, the decisions you have to make on every snap, I mean, you see the, the one team adjust and the other team adjust. The other team adjusts. It really is a chess match throughout the game. And 
you have to have a lot of different personnel packages and a lot of different options. That's why coaches say all the time, we don't have a depth chart because it's impossible to write down an actual depth chart. If you've actually seen what a college football depth chart looks like now, there's like 18 positions on it. And a lot of them are words that you never would associate, but they're, they're whatever a team calls that position. And they'll have like four or five names mentioned on like 18 different positions. Because depending on what personnel they've got in there, that's why it's hard to say this one guy, when they play dime, is a starter. And he plays in no other packages. This one guy, when they're in nickel or base or nickel or goal line, he's in there. But when they're in, you know, the, the sort of the, the dime or they're in sort of the base, he's not in there. He's only for like short yardage and nickel because of two random things that he does well. That's why it's so hard to explain what a depth chart is nowadays because people want to know, what's the depth chart? It's not just the next guy. It's the next guy at whatever position it is. And it's a combination of things. That's why it's, it's just hard. I'm not saying it's impossible to explain because if it were impossible to explain, nobody could run it. But it, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words in a really short kind of soundbite that people understand just how complex things are now. And you're going to have to get someone as an offensive coordinator who is either going to, A, run one system, stick by it, and know exactly how to recruit to it and exactly how to execute it at a high level every week against every kind of look. Or you got to get a guy who is very complex and a guy who can kind of change on the fly, a guy who can read what a defense is doing and can make adjustments during a game and have options and have guys prepared for any scenario. Those are kind of your two options, and I think Pruitt wants a guy who understands a lot of the RPO stuff and understands how complex the game is and wants to do different things. So that's why it's hard to say. People say, what is, what is this offense called? What is this defense called? It's multiple. That's what it is. It's multiple. So long story short, RIP Willie Football, you uh, great, entertaining young man. I hope you go out and have success somewhere else even though Patrick clearly just does not even care. Not you true. You don't even care. You don't do even care. care. I, wish him, I wish him luck. You don't even care. I'm interested to see what he does in other places because since he's had some guys that have gone other places and done pretty good this year. Yeah, they have. It's almost like they got away from a bad football coach and all of a sudden they decided to be pretty good at football again, right? It's like hang a, sl- hang a, a curveball over the plate for you to smash into the gap for a double. <laughs> For those of you who were wondering why we don't have a Grant's Gunshot question of the week this week, it's because Grant's not here and because there were four pretty concrete topics that we knew everybody wanted to talk about with the end of the season, the OC search, getting a quarterback commitment. We just had a lot to, to throw in here. So we will get back to Grant's Gunshot question of the week next week when Grant might be here, might not be here. We never really know. He needs to stop reproducing, first of all. Yeah, that'd be a good first step. But that, then again, that whole too much offspring. That again, that whole covering football recruiting while you're covering basketball, that's that's not easy, man. I do a lot of different things, um, but I don't have that combination. And that's whew, Grant's getting Grant's getting it from both sides of the plate right now. So, uh, and it's his fault that he has 800 children, and it's hard to to deal with all that. So we might try to sneak in a basketball podcast. I might do a quick one uh, and then throw out some Rick Barnes quotes for you and do a couple things. We might be able to do that before Sunday's game. Not quite sure. But regardless, we will be back next week. Uh, Maybe look for us a little bit earlier in the week, perhaps, as we kind of adjust this schedule and figure out a way to do this better for you. But as long as we're doing this, we'll try to have something for you on Friday mornings or, in this case, 
Friday afternoons. I am Wes Rucker at Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. We are on Twitter at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash govals 24-7. And most importantly, we are right there at govals247.com where we've always got you've missed the, the Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. But we've still got some really good deals for y'all to come check out the site through the coaching search. We'll have some good stuff. The numbers have been really good for the past couple weeks. Obviously, there's still a lot of interest in Tennessee. There always has been, always will be. But uh, if you want 24-7 coverage of Tennessee football, basketball, football recruiting, basketball recruiting, baseball, women's basketball, quarter flipping, hopscotch, jump rope, whatever the Vols are doing, we will be there to cover it. Pat, any final thoughts? Nope.